says that he always he will never do something without revealing it to the prophets. And because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can hear his word and he wants to speak through us. Okay, so at the end, uh, we're going to do communion. We're going to be, there's going to be two altar calls. The one altar calls, I'm just giving you the heads up before the hand, beforehand so you can start uh, wrestling with the Lord whether you should respond or not. Uh, the one's going to be, if you have never experienced the love of the Lord, then uh, we're going to call you up and we're going to pray for you. So counselors, be ready for that. And then also, if you have drifted away from your first love, so you need to repent. In other words, you need to turn away from pursuing whatever goals you had and you need to come back to Jesus. So those are the two altar calls. And then also we're going to give opportunity for people to share what they sense the Lord wants to do, a scripture or prophetic word that what the Lord wants to do through this church or the church in general. Okay, so three homework points. It's going to be a test to the end. If you fail, you're not allowed to come back again. No, I'm joking. I'm just joking. Okay, there's the test here today. Okay, I want to read to you two stories. The one is from a, from a, a marketplace prophet. You guys know this guy? Sia Kulisi. So, do you know him? You remember the World Cup final? Okay, any people from Britain, from the UK here today? None? Okay, that's good news. Okay. Um, so this is the first story, and then I'm going to go on to another, another story. So this is on the... So Siak Luce is writing this, and he says, On the morning of the final, so 20, was it 2019, Rachel, that's his wife, took the kids out for a walk while I spent half an hour in Bible study. I did this every day, match or not. It was my time not just to thank the Lord for what He has given me, but also to center myself. On this occasion, I didn't know this until much later, Rachel came back at a time she thought I had finished. But when she walked in the room, I was there with my back to the door, clad in only my underpants. Okay, mental picture, so just uh, delete that if it's offensive to you. With the Bible in one hand while I spoke in tongues. I was in another world, a trance, away with God. She ushered the kids back out and went down to the lobby. I didn't hear them come in and I didn't, I didn't hear them leave. I was just gone. So that's the, the morning of the final. First story. Second story. Do you all know Smith Wigglesworth? So there's a guy, he tells a story. So he has not heard of Smith Wigglesworth. He's in New Zealand. So Smith Wigglesworth was traveling through New Zealand and then conducting these meetings. But then before that, those meetings, he would get people to pray with him. And um, the author writing this said he heard that as he would pray for God's power, for God's dominion to enter the room, the people praying with Smith Wigglesworth won't be able to stand the glory of the Lord, and they would have to leave. So now we're catching up the story as he, he tells us. The author, on hearing of this from one who was present, registered a vow that if the opportunity came, he at any rate would remain whoever else went out. During the stay in the sounds, and the sounds is a place in New Zealand, a special meeting was called to pray for the other towns in New Zealand yet to be visited. A like position to the other meeting now arose. Here was the opportunity, the challenge, the contest was on. A number prayed, then the old saint 
So the Smith Wigglesworth began to lift up his voice, and strange as it may seem, the exodus began. A divine influence began to fill the place. The room became holy. The power of God began to feel like a heavy weight. With set chin and a definite decision not to budge, the only other one now left in the room hung on and hung on until the pressure became too great and he could stay no longer. With the floodgates of his soul pouring out streams of tears and with uncontrollable sobbing, he had to get out or die. And a man who knew God as few do was left alone, immersed in an atmosphere that few men could breathe in. So when I read these stories, I see people that have a relationship with the Lord. As you see Akulisi, and if you read his story, he is definitely not a perfect guy. There was a, there's a, there's a, a chapter in, in the book, and he, he tells a story of how they had a baby out of wedlock, he was still drinking around, he already got baptized, and then he was confronted by a mentor. Somebody uh, got him a mentor, a Christian mentor, and the mentor said, hey, listen here, see here on social media, you're a Christian, but you're still visiting strip clubs, you're still into pornography, and you allow girls to flirt with you, and you're still drinking. You need to stop that, else you're not a Christian. And then he surrenders himself to a point where he understands that God can use him as a fallible human being to impact a nation. And there, that's the reason why he was praying in his underpants, in tongues, his spiritual language, to say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but somehow I know you can use me to impact a nation. Somebody just loving the Lord. And then Smith Wigglesworth, he was an illiterate plumber. Got saved, got full of the Holy Spirit. His wife used to be the preacher. He became the preacher. And the one thing that he desired was just to be with the Lord. He had nothing, no other literature in his house apart from the Bible. That's what he wanted to read. He wanted to satisfy his soul with the presence of the Lord. And there's so many stories similar to that, that people just be in his presence and they will experience the love of the Lord the holy, the glorious love of the Lord. So when I, when I read these stories, I'm like, hey, Lord, I want to be at that place. I want to have such a relationship with you that you can use me in whatever way you want to use me, whether it's to serve an orphan or to change a nation or to win a World Cup. I want to be at that, at that space. And I, and I sense that's God saying to the whole church, because usually the, the God will come and he will first deal with the pastor, he'll deal with the leaders, he'll t deal with the dad, the business leader, and he say, hey, okay, this is the direction that we're going to go into. And as I stand here, I sense the responsibility on our church, on the church globally, to start doing the works of the Lord. There are people out there that need Jesus, and somehow what we're looking for, and especially if you come to George, you love your comfort. Let's play golf every day. Let's go to the beach. Too many options. But you don't think of, hey, God has actually given you assignment. God is wanting you to change your, your, your children's lives by being a great dad. He's wanting you to infiltrate business. He's wanting you to get into education. He's, he's wanting to use you somehow. And all he's asking is a vessel to do his work through. Okay, so there's a lot of work. I don't know who of you uh, in the beginning of the year 
the moment 12 o'clock hit on the 31st of December, felt that your, your chest tightened up and you're like, okay, shucks, it's the new year. We need to start working now. Something's going to happen. And, and in a way, there's that kind of responsibility in, in this time, in this season, now for the church. Hey, okay, we need to start doing stuff. But in order for us to get to that place, in order for us to fight injustice, in order for us to adopt all the orphans that are orphans in this nation, in order for us to see the whole youth culture being transformed, in order for us to see sexual immorality die, for us to see healthy, healthy marriages, we need to start at a first place. We need to start where Smith Wheelsworth started, where Siakulisi started. And that is by allowing God into our lives and allowing Him to be number one and surrendering every other throne that we have put ourselves on or the throne that we are worshiping and allowing all of that to be overwhelmed by this high priority of just loving Jesus. So I'm going to start this year with a series called First Love. And when I read to you Revelations 2, verse 1 to 5, it is... Jesus speaking, and he's, he's giving this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So it's great. I love the fact, the idea that the church has an angel. We've actually had prophetic people come into this church and said, hey, there's a very particular angel assigned to this church. We can see him. We know that he's here with us, because that's still true. It's biblical. So Jesus speaking in the church of Ephesus, if you read through Ephesians, actually the one church that Paul, he, he doesn't rebuke. So he just says good things to the church in Ephesus, if you read, read through the book of Ephesians. But then 40 years down the line, and that's sort of the timeline that the scholars agree on, Jesus gives John this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So it starts... Revelation 2, 1 to 5, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So it's giving the sandwich approach. He's using the sandwich approach. This is you're doing well. Well done. But there's one thing. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's quite a, it's quite a harsh word. But there's actually there's a promise in that. Because God is so good that when He disciplines you, He's not trying to shame you. He's not trying to condemn you. He's just trying to tell you, hey, there's a higher level of relationship that I'm inviting you into, a higher level of, his, of my glory, and I'm inviting you into. You must, be, you must be feeling good about yourself that you actually get pruned. And if you read John 15, the, 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 the reward for bearing fruit is actually to be pruned. So when God 
when he, when he highlights something in your life that you need to focus on or need to repent of, you should go, thank you, Jesus. I'm being pruned. Thank you for rewarding me for bearing fruit because now you can bear more fruit. So Jesus saying, there's one thing that you failed at. I have this against you. Quite strong words. Imagine you going to your child and say, hey, you make your bed. You eat, you're eating your broccoli. You're doing all of this, but I have this against you. So Jesus is feeling strongly about this. That you have fallen from prioritizing loving me. So before we want to change the world, before we want to get healthy marriages, before we want to get into, hey, let's save everybody around us, we need to get this one thing right. Before we stand up for injustice, before we go into doctrine, before all of that, we need to love the Lord with everything in us. Else we're going to fail. Else, so the church of Ephesus, they're doing great. They know who the false apostles are. They know the false doctrine. They know the evil one. But they've fallen in their first love. So let's, let's define love. Let's look at a theology of, of love. What, what does the Bible say about love? Because most of us, we don't understand love. Because love is something, yes, you can read about it in a book. You can try and intellectually grasp the concept of love. But love is best caught rather than taught. You need to catch it. And that's the reason why God wants us in healthy families. That's why God wants us to be with a loving dad, with a loving mother. That's why when I walk into Chris, Christian and, and Nicolene's house yesterday, I could just sense the love of God, because not, not because they are perfect. Nicolene's perfect, Christian's far from perfect, but because they are modeling the love of the Lord. The love of God. And, and some of you will have a difficult time in prioritizing loving the Lord because you don't know what love is. But there's good news. God wants to touch you in such a way. He wants to overwhelm you because He's always the first mover. He's going to show to you what love is. But you need to allow yourself, you need to take your heart, you need to move yourself, your mind and everything in you and say, Lord, I don't know what love is, but I'm going to try and see how you define love. So allow me in my insecurities, in my weakness, in my vulnerability, allow me to be touched by your love. And then you're going to be changed. It doesn't start with you. You're going to listen to all the songs on 5M, Spotify, family iTunes, subscription music about love, you're not going to get the definition of love. The only person that really grasps and holds the definition of love and the true definition of that is God, the Father. So what is the theology of love? Theology just means, so it is defined from God's perspective. When you say the theology of, of works, it is what does God say about works? What has God revealed to us about love? Theology is two words, theos, which means God, logos, which means thinking about a specific thing. 
Okay, so how does the Bible define love? So first of all, it starts with God. God's substance is love. That is who He is. And that we find in 1 John 4 verse 8. And the context there is actually, it's John writing. So he is the beloved disciple. And he says, if you say that you love God but hate your brother, you don't have God. He says, because God, the substance of who he is, is love. And then we also know that God, from who he is, he created us. So that is our substance. That is who we are. That is our identity. So he creates out of love. We are created in the image of God. Therefore, it should be easy for us to overlook people's faults, to overlook people's insecurities, their pain, their sin, and actually just love them because we know everybody, all of you sitting here, you have been created in the image of God and therefore you are beautiful. You're amazing. Not because you have done amazing things, not because you have always been doing the right thing, but because God created you in the image of the Lord. And you're amazing. You can go to any, the worst sinner, think of the guy that you hate the most. You're going to walk up to him and say, hey, you are amazing at your core. Before, before the fall of man, before the corruption of the soul, you were amazing. But because of the corruption of sin that came into the world, you are destroying yourself by allowing yourself to submit to the evil one, which is the devil. So the image of God. So God created us in His image. We are love. One of your biggest desires is to be loved. You want to be loved by friends. You want to be loved by families, you, you, by your family. You want to be loved by your people around you. And, and that, what that means is you want people to esteem you. You want people to trust you. You want people to think the best of you. You want people to honor you. That is a desire for love. You want romantic love. Because that's who you are. It's a good thing. But some of us, we keep on looking for that love at a horizontal level. Your wife will never be able to fulfill you. Your friend will never be able to fulfill you. The pastor will never be able to fulfill you. Your small group will never be, your business will never be able to fulfill that desire that you have to love you, to be loved. Only God can do that. So thirdly, it is his motivation. His love for us compelled him to save us. Famous scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So those who believe in him might be saved and not be condemned. So that is his it's like, I guess something is, and that's literally the picture you should have of God. Something is moving me towards these horrible sinners. Something is moving me towards these hurting people, to the sheep without a shepherd. And it's my love. I cannot help myself. It's like Julia the other night, she's jumping in my bed and, and there's a rule in our house Julia is not allowed to sleep in our bed, but you know how many times we've broken that rule? Why? Because I cannot help myself. Three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. It is quite cute if your daughter who's just turned four years old is playing with your ears. It is cute for a moment. I cannot help myself, but 
find myself in this difficult place, between a, hard, a rock and a hard place, like, what should I choose now? But I cannot help myself. I allow it. And, and in a way, you can do it with your fourth child, by the way. Don't do it with the first child. You're going to have problems. Because four children in one bed, it's not going to work. And if, you, if you're getting married and you're thinking of having children, buy a massive bed, king size. Don't go for three quarters, double bed size. Queen, at least king size. Because if you are full with a God, you, you will str- struggle to not love your kids. It will be so difficult for you. Okay. No, I'm not giving parenting advice. I'm talking about the love of the Lord. Okay, so God's compelled. He is motivated by love. And then in John 15, Jesus speaking, and he says, As the Father has loved me. Just so grasp the magnitude of the statement. As the Father has loved me. They are one. There's perfect unity. There's perfect relationship. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You. So that same love that exists between Father and Son in the Godhead, the perfect, the holy Trinity, that same love has been given to us by Jesus. And then Jesus says, abide in my love. I love that word. Abide means to remain, to stay there. Abide. Hey, See, I remember when you're playing the World Cup, stay in my love. Smith wheels with, remember, stay in my love. While you are loving your husband, while you are loving your children, stay in my love. Hey, church, while you're doing these great exploits, while you're away with friends or the men over the weekend, stay in my love. While you're on holiday, stay, remain in my love. Because that will give you the power, they will give you the source of love, the power so that you'll be able to love other people, so that you can fulfill your assignment. And all of you, apart from wanting to be loved, are looking for a purpose in life. And the only purpose you'll find is in the Lord where He says, hey, love those people by building that multinational company. Love those people by marrying that person. Love those people by loving your kids, raising up or educating or being a part of the Sunday school, kids' church, whatever it might be. But the assignment will only be fruitful once you've experienced the love of the Lord and you remain in that love. And then he says, as the Father, sorry, if you keep my commandments, so what is his commandments? His commandments, it's funny. He says, remain in my love. But his commandments, actually, the two main commandments that he gives to us is one, love the Lord with everything in you. Your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength. Everything. Love the Lord. And the other one? Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a bit of a conundrum. So if you don't understand that God loves you, you won't be able to love yourself, you won't be able to love other people. The person, the people that are really critical at you are probably just loving you as they love themselves. You just ask them, hey, you seem to be very critical about me. You're probably also very critical about yourself. Most of the people would say yes. Why? Because they don't know the love. But you can change it. You don't have to respond in criticism. You don't have to respond in offense. You're going to say, hey, you know what? I love you. Not because I am perfect, but because the one who is in me, who remains in me, is perfect. Okay, so I want to give you a couple of practical things on how to hack this first love theology. Okay, 
If you're older, you might not understand what a hack means. A hack is a practical way of doing something. Okay, so you'll get a husband cook manual, how to hack stuff. So how to cut to tomatoes perfectly. For instance, the hack that I'm thinking of. How to, how to not use gel to comb your hair, but rather use your wife's conditioner. That'd be hack, because it's, it's cheap, or it's maybe not cheap. But you don't have to go and buy gel. You can just use a conditioner. That's a hack. It's a practical way of doing something. So a short, a shortcut towards this. Okay. So five things. If you get this right, if we get this, if we get this right as church, we're going to change the world. And you, you know, it's only one of the things that we strongly sense God has called us to do is we not want to be the best church in George. We want to be the best church for George. That means we need an outward focus. And wherever you have a sphere of influence, you'll be able to reveal the love of the Lord. First one is, engage God as a loved one. First priority is that you need to understand you are loved. You are loved. And if you, if you, if you, didn't have, if you weren't brought up in a family where you experienced that, you need to fight for that. To understand that you are a loved one. When we arrived at our place, in, in uh, my dad's place in San Hermanos, I walk into the setting there. My grandfather built these six rondavals, so it's like, we call it the crawl. There's the Kennedy crawl. As you walk in there, you get celebrated. The kids are taken away from you. There's food in the fridge. You're not allowed to buy anything. And then... What, what's my response? My response is to automatically just respond with love. So if, if you don't understand that you are loved, you won't be able to respond with love. So you need to fight for this. And the devil will come and lie specifically in this area. That's why I've often had grown men cry in my office when God says to them in a vision, hey, I love you. Thinking of a big business guy, he's in the room and, and God says to him, you know what, I love you. He just starts sobbing. Because that's not his experience in his family. By the way, if you're a dad, that is your job to tell your kids every single day, every single day, at least once, that you love them. Because it's going to make it so much easier for them to engage with God and to actually fulfill what God has called them to do. It's your job. If you don't do it, you are sinning. I'm saying this as your pastor. You are missing the point. That's what sin means. And if you don't tell your wife that, you're also sinning. If you cannot say to your wife you love her, then why did you marry her? And sometimes you don't feel like it, but once you speak it, it becomes a reality because God has breathed His Spirit into us. So the moment we speak it, it actually forms a physical substance in the Spirit, which is a higher reality than the chair that you're sitting on. And you, are become, you become love. Okay, so engage with the Lord. You can do this. Tomorrow morning, wake up at 5 o'clock. For five minutes, just for five minutes, maybe just start quiet time, five minutes. Say, Lord, I want to be loved by you right now. 
Some of you think that's offensive to the Lord. It's going to blaspheme you. No, it's not. Just say, Lord, I want to be loved by you. If my kid comes to me, if Julia comes to me at 3 o'clock in the morning, hey, Dad, I just want to be loved by you. It's probably going to be a manipulation because she just wants to be in bed with us. But I'm going to give her the love. I'm going to love her. I'm going to tell her how much I love her, how much I care for her. Okay, so that's number one. Second one is you need to read your Bible as a love letter. It's not a place where God's not trying to condemn you or put shame on you. He is loving you. Even if it feels like discipline, He wants to get you to the best place in this life. Yes, He wants you to have success. But first of all, He wants you to have relationship with Him. And He is engaging with you. And He wants to share with you His thoughts. And it could be so much fun if you read from that point. Hey, Lord, how do you want to love me through this scripture? And a great place to start, by the way, is in the book of the Beloved One. John, the gospel, but also John, the three letters that John wrote. Because he understood love. It's a love letter. And then, thirdly, allow God to love you. So while you're reading this, don't try and do stuff for Him. Don't try and think, okay, I need to fix this, I need to fix this. Just allow for the Lord to love you. In other words... Hear from His Word that He loves you, that He died for you, that your sin is forgiven. And then fourthly, most difficult part of this, love all people. <laughs> you need to love them. Okay, so all of you know, all of you can hear the, the Word of the Lord. All of you can hear God and you can easily get a word from the Lord. Okay? So close your eyes. I'm going to do this exercise with you. Okay, Lord, thank you that you revealed to, to people in this room one person that irritates them very much. Okay, open your eyes. Most of you got somebody. So you need to love those people. You need to love them. Because now you are love. God loves everybody. And the moment you start loving those people, what's going to happen is you're going to see and sense God's work working through you. And then lastly, repent of sins against love. So what is sin against love? A sin against love is, for instance, when you've gossiped about somebody that God loves. When you have not taken the time to love the people that God has placed in your immediate circle of influence. When your first priority is to get something from them, not to give something. When you have hurt somebody with your words. Could even be sexual immorality, because what does sexual immorality do? Sexual immorality allows for the devil to corrupt the area from which you need to love. Sin against love. And repentance is, it's a great tool, but so often we miss that tool. Hey, Lord, sorry, I was so irritated with that person. But I choose now to turn away from, from my sinful nature towards the Spirit, to know that you love that person. You want to love that person through me. Because often when we, when we think of, of sin, we think of all the things that we can do wrong, all the sins in the world like alcohol and drugs and, yes, pornography, 
But we often forget that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord and love people. So therefore, there's a, a big responsibility in us to reveal God's love to the people around us. Great. I'm going to call up the, the worship team. So remember, if you, if you have a word, specific word, we're going to call you forward in a moment. And then the communion people, you can come and you can distribute the communion elements. God loves you. I <laughs> flippantly feel it. He does. He loves everything about you. Your mannerisms, even even the way that you you stress. When you look so open up, gaan and zien die moeilijkheid is. He loves that about you. He wants to be with you. But there's this this veil. This this wall that we've built. God's not building any walls. And we're not allowing Him to love us. If you have a specific word um, for, this, for this season, for this year coming, I'd just love for you to come forward. Just quickly share with us while we, before we take communion. You can just bring your elements with if you have a word. I know, I know you guys are prayer warriors and you hear God's voice. So what's God saying about the church? What is He saying about? Okay, great. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Corinne. Um, and I feel like the word that the Lord's laid on my heart for 2022 for us is that it's truly a year of breakthrough and stepping into the promises. But we need to partner with God. It's great to hang on to a word and believe for it, but we have to be active participants in pursuing that what he has laid on your heart to do. And also not to give up on your hopes and your dreams because God is the one that has placed those hopes and dreams there. So it's truly a year of focusing on the prophetic fulfillment, um, focusing and being um, you know, just consistent in partnering with the Lord and achieving that what He has laid on your heart to do. And so it's walking by faith, not by sight. <laughs> um, 
but seeing that as you step out, how God comes through for you, it's kingdom living. It's not seeing as believing, it's believing as seeing. And that's what I feel the Lord has for us. Thanks. Amen. Thanks, Karin. Good morning. Um, while we were worshiping, I just um, felt the verse that um, Pastor Amo actually shared. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, which is the scripture in John 15. And then later I also heard this one, which is not a fun one. I will not accept your burnt offerings or your grain offerings, and I won't even notice your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, what I want to see is a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Um, and this endless river of righteous living, the Word says that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And He's given this to us by coming to know Him. And how do we know Him? By obeying His commandments, which Pastor Amos preached about. Thank you, Pastor. Say, <laughs> can um, I? just feel that the Lord is saying, well, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But above that, Hebrews 5, 12, and 13 and 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use of have the senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen. Great. So... We're going to take communion now, and we're going to think of God's love for us. It's, it's a Jesus, His Son, dying on the cross, going the full way. It's not, it's not halfway. It's not, hey, I'm going to be with you if you do this. No, I'm going to die with you even if you don't follow me. I'm going to die for you even if you kill me. That's Jesus' love for us. That's God's love for us. So let's, let's take the bread in remembrance of God's love for us in Jesus. And then the wine representing God's blood. It represents protection, but it also represents that Jesus gave his whole life. He was obedient till the end for us on our behalf. So, Lord, we, we take this blood and we're drinking it now. And we want you to fill us with that sacrificial love so we would be able to love other people in the same way. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to just keep your eyes closed. If you're in this room and, and you know that God needs to touch you with His love, you have a distorted picture of who God as the Father is. It might be because of your upbringing. It might be because of sin that happened in last while. Whatever it might be. But you know that God needs to reveal to you the love that He has for you, else you won't be able to function, not only as a Christian, but just in life in general. So if that is you, I just want you to raise your hand very high to say, 
I need a touch of the love of the Lord this morning. Thank you for those hands. Just higher. Just do it again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can lower your hands again. You can lower your hands again. And if you, this morning, and you know you've been a Christian for a very long time, you've even been doing the Christian things. You've been doing the things that you know it will bless God, but you have fallen from this place of first love. You don't enjoy spending your quiet time with the Lord, or you just left it behind. But you've fallen into the trap of doing things and not just loving the Lord. And maybe even you've sinned against love in so many ways. That is you you and you repent and just come back to Jesus. I want you just to raise your hand very high. Just say, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. You can lower your hands again. I'm going to ask um, Dwayne just to play that chorus of Hosanna. Hosanna is that word, God save me, God reveal your love to me, God I need you. It's a declaration of dependence on God to touch us else we won't be able to function. So we're going to sing that and while we sing that, those people raised their hands. I want you to come forward and, and also facilitators, you can just come forward with them. And then we're going to pray for you. We're going to trust that the Lord touch you with His love. And we're going to trust you, trust the Lord that He will, with His grace, help you into a disciplined pursuit of Him and His love for you. Amen. Okay, let's sing that, just that bridge. Let's, let's before we pray for them, counselors, if you can just, let's before we pray for them, let's cry it out, cry it out on behalf of these people wanting just to experience the love of the Lord or come back to their first love, which is beautiful. By the way, these are, these are the courageous, these are the brave, and I love the fact that we have men standing here. Amen. So let's, let's stand, if you need to come forward. Please don't walk out those doors without responding to the love of the Lord, love of the Father, of your dad in heaven that's crying out for you. But let's just sing this, just this chorus a couple of times over these people. Thank you, Jesus. Let the heavens resound. Let's you make noise for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Save us, Lord.
we can carry on like this forever, but we'll have to dismiss you. There's a next service coming in. Um, so just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, do you need to be up front? If that person needs to be up front, bring them forward. Else just bless them say, hey, I don't know you, but God loves you. Or maybe I do know you, and God loves you. And then there will be coffee at the back. And uh, if you want to sign up for our camp, please do that also there at the back with Runel. Um, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be amazing.